All right, I messed up the programs today, but we're in chapter 7. Uh, we are in verses 1 through 13. Chapter 7, verses 1 through 13 today. And there's some good stuff in here, and I really hope I uh, do it justice. Uh, we'll see how, see how it goes here. So 1 through 13, I'm going to go ahead and read through this real quick here. After these things, Jesus was walking in Galilee, for He was unwilling to walk in Judea because the Jews were seeking to kill Him. Now the feast of the Jews, the feast of booths, was near. So His brothers said to Him, Move on from here and go into Judea so that Your disciples may see Your works which You are doing. For no one does anything in secret when He Himself is striving to be known publicly. If You are doing these things, show Yourself to the world." For not even his brothers believed in him. So Jesus said to them, My time is not, is not yet here, but your time is always ready. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify about it that its deeds are evil. Go up to the feast yourselves. I am not going up to the feast, to this feast because my time has not yet fully arrived. Now having said these things to them, he stayed in Galilee. But when his brothers had gone up to the feast... Then he himself went up, not publicly, but as though in secret. So the Jews were looking for him at the feast and saying, Where is he? And there was a great deal of talk about him in secret among the crowds. Some were saying he is a good man. Others were saying, No, on the contrary, he is misleading the people. However, no one was, openly, was speaking openly about him for fear of the Jews. <clears throat> All right, so Jesus has been in Galilee. Um, we saw before this, we saw the feeding of the 5,000. Then he, we saw them crossing the sea. Uh, and then we had a lot of talk about the miracles and what people were wanting. And they, and they seemed to have a problem with him saying that he was the bread of life, not like they knew with Moses in the wilderness. So here, his brothers are telling him, Go to Judea. Show these people what you are doing. Now, if you just... If you could misinterpret this. Jesus is not saying He's not going to go out of fear. He's not saying... He doesn't have a lack of courage going on here. This, this reason that He's unwilling to go to Judea with His brothers. It was, it was, uh, it was prudence. It was, it was uh, discernment. It was not His time, as He said. It was not his time to go into Judea, but we'll also see that he will. But why was he not going there? He says the Jews. That's why Jesus spent more time in Galilee in these early parts, because they wanted to kill him. And why did they want to kill him? If we remember back, it was for healing the man on the Sabbath day. That was what really ticked off these Jewish leaders right off the bat. But he's telling them that it's not his time. It's not the Father's time for Jesus to enter into the city like a king and then to be arrested. You know, because you could just say, why didn't he just go now? But we lack the eternal knowledge of why the Father wanted him to wait here. There's obviously events or some timing that needed to happen here. 
But what we do see here is that Jesus is basically telling us, you know, sometimes it's okay to not put yourself in imminent peril. You can wait for a proper time to go and spread the message. But when it does come to that time, for some of us, some people in other countries, there is a time where you will carry your cross and lay down your life. We see that throughout Christian history. But what we do also see here, and this is a really good point to look at, Jesus was sitting out here in Galilee. He wasn't just sitting. He was walking around. His ministry was going full time. He didn't just stop working because he couldn't go to Judea yet. So when we can't do what we want, when we want, it's okay to do what you can where you are at. That's a principle for your life because sometimes you think, well, I should be able to do this, this, and this. I have the ability to do this. Why aren't they ready for me yet? Sometimes God puts you in a different place. And that's okay. But when it was His time, they were going to, as we see in the Gospels, they were, as He enters the city, going to shout, Hosanna, blessed is He who comes in the name of the Lord. It was going to be a big to-do when He comes in. Indeed, the King of Israel had come. And they were going to tell everyone specifically about how He had just raised Lazarus from the dead when He enters the city in His triumphant entry. But here, it's not time yet. This is the festival of, uh, festival of the booths, which sounds like a weird name. I think in some of your Bibles you might have a different name for it there. But during this festival, he didn't want to come up with his brothers because they obviously wanted him to come in big. They wanted him to come in and shout his name, show his miracles right off the bat. So in this festival, though, the Jewish people would come up here, would go up to Jerusalem, and it was a time where they would build these temporary, small, basically shacks, and they would remember the, the faithfulness that God had for them when they were in the wilderness with Moses for the 40 years. That was the purpose of this festival. Now, the Jews, like I said, they were, they were hunting for Jesus. They wanted Him. And the brothers, they want Him to come up and show a bigger stage. You're doing all of these miracles out here in this podunk area. Why don't you go to Jerusalem where everybody can see what you're doing? Don't stay in Galilee. you got to remember, Galilee was looked at as more of a lower class area. Why are you out here doing these things? If you're the Messiah, go to the proper audience is what they're telling him. Go and advance your name and the honor for you and the Father if, the, if what you say is true. So they didn't... It's kind of sad, but I mean, his brothers really did not seem to support him until after his resurrection. His brothers' statements, they show that they are still in the world at this point, that, they, that they're not putting their trust in Him. You know, they saw His power. They saw His miracles. They were walking around with Him out there. They believed that He could do those things because they were there. But they hadn't submitted to Him at all. They didn't, they didn't fully buy into His message. Now, some of them we see later on after the cross would become ardent leaders of the Christian church. 
But that's not yet. For now, his brothers, as the text says, for not even his brothers believed in him. Basically, or they wouldn't have asked him to do these things. So because he was their brother, he was not their king at this point. It's hard to imagine. I mean, these uh, we don't know if these are children from his earthly fathers, maybe a previous marriage. Uh, we don't know if they are Mary's children. But either way, they are his brothers. They've been with... you got to picture... He's watched all these. They're all they're all younger than him, as far as we know. So he's watched all these ones raise up, get older. They probably had an intimate relationship, as brothers would. And now he's saying that I'm your Lord and God, and they're not buying it. So they, thinking in earthly ways, are trying to teach him what to do, because they don't think that he knows how to properly spread his ministry. And they're inadvertently or purposely, I guess it depends on your view on it, but they are putting him in harm's way by saying, come on, just go up to Jerusalem now. Start doing all these miracles right in front of everybody. It's okay. This is what you need to do. There's got to be emotions in that for Jesus um, because Jesus was man too. This is the same Jesus who cried for Jerusalem, same one who cried for Lazarus even though he was going to resurrect him. The same one who asked John to take care of his mother when he was dying on the cross and he knew that he wouldn't be there physically for her. So it's safe to say that he was probably a little grieved by the way that his brothers were treating him at this point. But his brothers are an excellent example of family and bloodline and how that it can't save you. You know, uh, you can... You can be the child of a preacher. That doesn't matter. You can be the child of just the most ardent, the the best Christian that you've ever met. That's not going to save you. You have to have your own faith. Because if bloodline from Christ, Christ's family could not save somebody, then nobody's bloodline can. So when we're reading this, I, find, I always find it very interesting, the statement where he says, my time is not yet here, but your time is always ready. So Jesus is once again, he's showing us that he's submitted to the will of the Father, even though he's equal with him. He's submitting to the timing of God the Father, and the brothers were not. Because for them, any time was okay to go to Jerusalem. Nobody was headhunting them. They could go any time. When you, when you look in the, uh, in the Greek here, when it talks of my time, there's a Greek word called, uh, it's, it, the pronunciation's awful, but kahiros, which is for time. And it's for a measure of time generally, but it also means an opportuned or seasonal time. The right time or a fixed and definite time. So Jesus was waiting for this fixed and definite time that the Father had for him to make that triumphant entry. The brothers, they could stay. They could go. It doesn't matter. Their time, they weren't on God's time. But his time was valuable. His time was accounted for. He had things to do. And it was not his time yet, as he said. But God's time is important. And we can... 
we can get caught up in the fact that we know that something is in God's time, but we want it now, even though we don't know when it is. And that's basically what the brothers were doing, even though they didn't understand it. But his brothers at this moment, the world couldn't hate them is what Christ says. Because they were in it. They were of it. They had not believed in Jesus yet, or some of them. And it hated him. Not just a little bit. Not just a little bit of hatred, but a full-blown hatred for what he has said. Because the truth cuts deep sometimes. Jesus said in verse 7 there when we read, that it hates me because I testify about it, that its deeds are evil. So he's saying that tree of the world is bad, and its fruit is bad. If you follow that, you're going to be in its evil. That's why there's no salvation found in the world. So Jesus is here to save, but to save entails a judgment. We can't, we can't have save, a Savior without a judgment. Something is wrong at that point. That's why when we covered verse, uh, when we talked in chapter 3, I made sure to, to talk about verses 18 through 21 because so often people ignore those. They stop at 16 because it's such a great verse, but they ignore 18 through 21 where it says, The one who believes in him is not judged. The one who does not believe has been judged already. This is in chapter 3. Because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment that the light has come into the world and people love the darkness rather than the light for their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light and does not come to the light so that his deeds will not be exposed. But the one who practices the truth comes to the light so that his deeds will be revealed as having been performed in God. So the world doesn't like conviction I know I didn't. I don't know if that's the same for any of you guys, but I didn't like it. I want to be told that I'm doing something bad. Who are you to say, right? I'm not going to listen to some old book telling me that I'm sinning. What even is that? That doesn't mean a thing for a lot of people. So the world hates Christ naturally because the gospel message gets people stuck on their pride where they're like, well, I'm not that bad. This guy over here is way worse. He's a murderer. He's this or that. So we can get stuck on our own personal testimony of how we think that we're a good person who doesn't need to be saved. But the Gospel tells us that we have sin and that we stand before a holy and perfect God. And that's why we have to keep telling them John 3.16, the important verse. That's why John 3.16 is so important. Because it's, it's fully ex, it fully explains what Christ has done for us and what He lived out on the cross. And that no matter who we are, no matter what we've done, that God has done all that is necessary for us to be saved. And that He's calling to us. That verse 3.16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that everyone who believes in Him will not perish, but have eternal life. That's the importance there. So Jesus could not go with them, or would not, 
I guess would be more of a better way of saying that, because he didn't want to go with them in public. They were attention garnering. You know, they wanted maybe they wanted a little bit of the limelight with him, but it wasn't going to be a quiet little little uh, group going up to Jerusalem. Usually, people would go up in huge groups, anyways. So, did he go? Yes, the text does show that he went, but he avoided his enemies. And even though he avoided his enemies and he was there in secret, the city was still a buzz about him. They wanted their Messiah. They wanted their king. They wanted him now. They wanted their miracles right now. Whatever that would be, whether it be food or healings. But they wanted them right at this second. But you can hear the buzz in the city, what the text says there. And it's very reminiscent of Matthew chapter 10. Matthew chapter 10, verse 34 through 36, where it said, It said, Do not think that I came to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I came to turn a man against his father, and, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter in law against her mother in law, and a person's enemies will be members of the household. Does that literally mean that people are going to be fighting each other in their household? Well, hopefully not. But it's very similar to what's happening in the city here where Jesus has been announced, people know who he is, and now people must decide, is he good? Is he bad? Is he God? Is he not? That is the division that the sword brings. People hear Christ, and then they have to decide. And they also have to decide if they care. Some people don't. So this is happening in the city. Belief in Jesus is dividing the city already between believers or not, or people who at least will entertain the idea. Some of these people had seen him because they are coming up from Galilee and other areas where he performed miracles. I'm sure at least some of the 5,000 were there. Some had heard him. Some had heard of him. And now they had to decide. But they will not do this out loud for fear of the Jewish authority. <clears throat> the Jewish authority was a real thing. People are really afraid. That's how, how powerful the religion was at that time. <clears throat> so there is there's some deeper wisdom in here, and I'm, I hope I don't mess it up. Um, deeper than the relation of the Jerusalem and the events that are unfolding here. Uh, so let's see if I can get this right. But basically, what I'm looking at here is that often, not always, but those outside or inside the faith, sometimes we, in different times of our lives or our whole lives, it just depends on the person, can lead useless lives. I know that sounds weird. But this is especially true when gauged against biblical principles. So this, like I said, this happens to people in the faith as well. Um, sometimes we have a lapse of motivation. We start ignoring the Holy Spirit's prompts in our lives when he tells us to do something. And when we get like that, our time to go and do, we end up going and doing useless things instead of things that God would have us things that would honor Him, things that would be in the walk that He has provided for us, those useless things are always, always available. They're always there for us, especially in this day and age. But 
if we are filled with godly duties, what, whatever those would be in your life, caring for your family, providing for your family, uh, teaching your children, being there for your parents, being there for people in the community, these are honorable things that are done in faith in God. And these show that you are being fruitful. You are a fruitful branch in the vine of Christ. Because you'll notice that he told his brothers, your time is any time. You're doing useless things. You're doing things that don't matter. Go ahead, go up to, go up to Jerusalem. Nobody's going to care. So when you're doing these, use, these useless things, you know, you just you get into this idle idle moment of just not of just nonsense. Whereas if you live as a servant of God, if you know that everything you're doing is to honor God, then you spend your time doing those kind of things. Whatever that capacity is for you, because every person is a little different in what we have going on in our life. Um, to be fruitful in Christ will bring you more satisfaction, more joy, and more fulfillment than a life of idleness. And this is hard medicine in this day and age, and it seems to be more for guys. Uh, I could be wrong on that part. But I'll tell you, like for instance, uh, when I was in my early 20s, I was not a Christian, I was not a believer, and I was stuck in like a depression from, from when I had had my uh, friend die of cancer. I mean, it just just went on and on, and I just couldn't, couldn't get myself out of it. And I got stuck in these stupid video games, uh, these computer games, and, and I was it, was, it was an addiction to a certain point, for like a year or two, to where like this is all I wanted to do. And I would just sit there all day long, playing these stupid things, wasting my time, being stuck in my own head. And I couldn't see how, how much of a waste it was, how my life was just going away. I'm, I mean, I've, all of our time is precious. And for some people, it might not be video games. It might be TV. You know, some of us spend an awful lot of time watching TV. You know, we get home, go turn on the tube instead of doing whatever it is we should be doing. And that's not to say that we don't have time for idleness, but you can make it your life. Whereas... If you know that God has things for you to do, you're going to be busy. And we're not pushing works. It's not like you're out there earning anything. But it's if you are, if you are in tune with the Holy Spirit, you will know that you have things to do in your life. But sloth doesn't breed anything good. And a saving faith will produce these good works, will produce this good fruit. I know it's kind of a weird topic, but it's just something that kind of popped up into my head when I saw Jesus talking to his brothers and saying, you know, your time is you're not doing anything productive. You're not in the Father. Go up to Jerusalem. Nobody cares. Because they were in that idleness too. They were not on God's time. They didn't even know God's schedule. They weren't with him on that. So like I said, I know that's kind of maybe kind of a weird way to end it, but does anybody have any thoughts or um, corrections or any anything additional on this? Because I know we kind of rushed through that a little bit, but it it is a interesting set of scriptures for only thirteen verses. Anybody?